When you see the same people on the bus, you begin to learn their life. You understanding how diverse a community is is important, and you don't get that when you drive a car. You may be what you eat, but healthy has a different definition for everybody. From Food Equality Initiative, I'm Sophia Gillespie, and welcome to Free From Podcast. I think you could almost say that Americans are addicted to our cars. In a lot of ways, this developed from a place of necessity. However, you could also say the opposite, that transit was better and more inclusive before cars were introduced to the economy. While the car offers relative freedom of movement, for a variety of reasons, not everyone is able to access this resource. And for a society built by the car for the car, it makes it difficult to access important resources such as grocery stores, libraries, and hair salons by any other means than driving. This season on Free From Podcast, we're talking about healthy habits. Let's view our method of getting around via car as a habit and learn about what things can be done to diversify our movements to be healthier for our bodies, healthier for our planet, and overall healthier for our society. I've invited AJ Ferris, the planning and scheduling manager for the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority. He received his master's degree in planning from the University of Kansas and has experience working on transportation, master plans, public transit systems, and bike pedestrian plans. So hi, AJ. We're happy to have you on Free From Podcast. Hi, I'm happy and excited to be here to talk to you guys about this. Awesome. So you live and work in Kansas City, Missouri where all public transportation has been free, which is a first for America's large cities. And, you know, not a lot of people in your position can say that. So I'm curious, just, you know, like how that makes you feel. Does that impact your job at all? Yeah, it has absolutely had impacts. I love this job. I've been passionate about public transportation for a very long time. But yeah, Zero Fare, uh, it's been going on officially since March of 2020 but we had been taking active steps toward it for a lot longer than that. It's very exciting and uh, very innovative. We're going to get back into that later, but first I want to talk more about just the very basics. So what's the point of the bus? What are some of a bus system's goals? And then how do you measure a bus system's success? Yeah, to start with answering that first question, at the end of the day, the point of the bus is to simply connect people to opportunities. Public transit represents an incredibly important service that opens up access to housing, education, employment, uh, healthcare for all users. In healthcare, is that including access to food and groceries? I mean, it should. Uh, so I think in a more in a more broad sense, it's discussing anything a person needs to live a healthy life. I think in probably the more traditional setting, it is probably talking more about traditional doctors, traditional therapy. But one of the things that we are passionate about and we have done work on in the past is making sure that people have access to affordable and healthy foods through the public transportation system. We did a great bit of work about, a, I think, a year and a half ago with Casey Healthy Kids to do a better job advertising and marketing where those locations are, our bus stops and our bus routes that do have access to affordable and healthy food. So it, it's definitely something that we think about. Um, you know, grocery stores, pharmacies, job centers, uh, activity centers, those are those are the locations that we focus on serving. What I found interesting too, as a person who grew up in the suburbs where there's, you know, the yellow school bus, I've worked in the public school system here in, in Kansas City, and I would see a decent amount of kids that would take the public bus instead of the school bus to get to school. 
Absolutely. Access to education was a big pillar and one of the kind of first ways we started rolling out zero fare and one of the first steps that we took to making zero fare a reality. To answer that, the second part of that question, which I believe was goals, the goal of at least the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority is to really leverage community partnerships to provide access to jobs, healthcare, education, housing. Um, and you'll hear me talk about those those a lot. Those are basically the four pillars that uh, everything we do, we make sure has positive and beneficial impacts on. While providing access to these services is important, I also don't want to discount the impact that it has on our environment. You know, getting cars off the streets greatly reduces the amount of environmental impacts and has an effect on climate change. Also from a healthy lifestyle, uh, getting more people to ride the bus causes more people to walk. Every bus passenger starts off as a pedestrian. So it, it has health impacts as well that I think are really beneficial. Yeah. Well, and I'm Curious to hear, you know, once there's been more more studies and to see how it has impacted people, not just to get from point A to point B, but like you said, like, how does it impact their health? Yeah. So the uh, UMKC right now received funding to do a study on that. They're essentially putting activity trackers on a large group of volunteers and seeing how them choosing the bus over an automobile for a certain amount of time increases the amount of physical activity, a look at stress factors, you know, with, with blood pressure and heart rate. So uh, that's ongoing. And so we'll get that data. Wow. I'll need to put a Google we'll check mark to come yeah. back. <laughs> I need to come back on that. The last part of that question, the, the how to measure success, it can be measured in a lot of different ways. We work with our community partners and our metropolitan planning organization, which is the Mid-America Regional Council, to make sure we coordinate on different key performance indicators that we use to measure success. That could look like average daily ridership, which tells us how many people access the service on uh, any given day. We can look at on-time performance, which measures the reliability of our service. And then we can go even bigger and look at job access. What percentage of jobs in our region are accessible by public transportation? One thing that I think about a lot in terms of public transportation is the location of where I live. It's one thing to live in the middle of a multi-zoned area where you have places to work, to eat, to shop, to hang out with friends. But it's another to be in a more residential-only zone or even a previously redlined zone that severely impacted the commercial and community development of that area. I'm privileged to be able to choose to live in that mixed zoning area where I can walk most places and take the bus as needed to go slightly to further away places. But a lot of people aren't in that position, which makes a robust public transportation system so, so vital to the health of a diverse city. I love that you brought up the, uh, you know, the privilege aspect of it, because that that does factor into it. Um, you know, I started in I started riding the bus and being an advocate for transit when I was in college where I, I didn't have a car. And it's how I got to my job and how I got to class. And it became something that I recognized in my privileged upbringing, I had never even had to think about before when there are so many sectors of our population that have relied on it for a lot longer. And so it was, you know, it was really, it was a check to my privilege at that point where I recognized how important it was. So I love that you, you brought that up. Yeah. And I think for some reason in America, it is like the default. Like if you invite someone out to dinner or something, you're, you're assuming that they're going to get there by driving, which is not always the case and shouldn't necessarily always be the case. And so I was just 
you know, curious, who would you say the bus is for? Yeah, it's for everyone. It's for a person who doesn't have access to a car. And it's also for a person who chooses not to have a car. I think everyone should ride the bus. And if they haven't tried it, then they should at least try it. I understand that there is that first barrier, that first big barrier to a person's first ride and how it could be scary. But my whole family has ridden the bus just just two weeks ago, we took my daughter to Science City at Union Station in Kansas City, Missouri, which we used our uh, main max route to do. And she loved it. The operator was friendly. The people on the bus were friendly. But, you know, our trip might not look the same as others who use the service. But the point is that the service is available to everyone. Our service can be used for going on a date night like you were talking, or it can be used for going to a doctor's appointment or to therapy or for a a person to access employment or for a person to get a safe trip to a shelter. So uh, it's it's for everyone. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the bus and why I think it's important to remove barriers to the bus, like a fare. Absolutely. Well, and it's like for all those people out there who haven't ridden the bus before, if you're in Kansas City, it's free. We're going to say that a lot on this podcast, <laughs> but it's free. So you don't really have a whole lot to lose. And I know Kansas City has been installing a lot more of paid parking places, which, you know, I've heard lots of people complaining about that and belly aching. And I'm like, well, you could just take the bus there because it's free and you don't have to park. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, that's another topic <laughs> entirely. It's a good topic. <laughs> so where do you think Kansas City's bus system is ranked amongst other cities in the U.S.? I could tell you that I think we're one of the best, but of course, I'm a little bit biased. I'll let the American Public Transit Association speak for us. In 2022, they awarded us with the Most Outstanding Transit Agency Award. We received this award due to our partnership. Uh, and when I say we, I want to make sure I'm clear, they awarded Ride KC that which the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority is a service providing partner. So Ride KC includes the Kansas City Streetcar Authority. It includes folks at Bike Walk KC who help with the bikes. It includes our community partners in Johnson County and other participating partnerships that we have around the region. It was an honor to receive that award. For example, one of the things that we do a lot differently than a lot of other transit agencies is, is not just zero fare, which I know we'll be talking about a lot today, but it's also that we have an entire branch of Ride KC that's dedicated to transit-oriented development. Uh, we're one of a very few amount of agencies that have that, and that allows us to get into development conversations really at the beginning of the waterfall, where we can really impact our built environment that encourage the use of transit. And so that's, besides zero fare, that's another thing that uh, we do really, really well at, and we're innovative in doing. Can you expand on that a little bit more? So are you talking about developing new lines? I'm talking about developing commercial and residential units. So looking at building apartment complexes, looking at building job accessibility areas. For example, we have recently acquired a piece of property that uh, wasn't being utilized. It's north of the river, Kansas City, Missouri. It's an old Kmart site that we are looking at building multi-unit housing and job centers on that builds density in an area that doesn't really have a lot of density. And when you build density, you allow for more efficient public transportation uses. A lot of the times public transportation is thought about at the very end of a development process. So, you know, a person that wants to build an industrial complex will first look at where's the cheapest land available to them, which often happens to be out in areas that are far away from our urban core, which then at the very end, they recognize that they need to have job access to it through public transportation. And so they come to us at the end and we say, 
that's going to be very expensive to provide out there. So having this branch that focuses only on transit-oriented development helps us get in earlier in those conversations to build density and help create more efficient uses of public transportation. And that's one of the main reasons why I also chose to live where I do, because it is multi-zone so that we have the shopping options, you have the work options, you have the entertainment and the residential all in one area, which is kind of its own little nest, I guess is a, a word for it. But yeah, whenever I do feel like I need to get out or get to different stores that aren't around me, then generally the bus will provide somewhat of a a direct, if not long, route to get to those places. So that's kind of my way of segueing into what are some things that the bus system you think does well in Kansas City and where are some areas that would be good to improve upon? So one of the things that I think we do really well is we're very focused on innovation. For the last decade or more, the trend has been declining use of the bus to where you know cars have become cheaper, which, you know, is good for some that that barrier is reduced for them to get a car and it gives them, you know, more freedom in their mobility. But we are still looking at ways to innovate public transportation. So providing service in different ways. So it might not be the fixed route bus that you are used to that comes to the same stop at the same time every day. It might look something more like uh, what we call microtransit which is essentially a zone that provides curb-to-curb service, very similar to an Uber or a Lyft, except that it's available all throughout a zone and you can schedule on demand. So same-day service where you can use an app or for people that don't have access to the internet, they're able to schedule rides in, in other ways through a call center. So that's one of the things that I think we do very well. We also did a very good job of focusing on post-pandemic recovery and how we can get those riders back onto the bus. One of the things that I think we could do better at, specifically as a region, is focusing on increasing funding for public transportation. You know, we're working really well right now with our community partners, but at the end of the day, the bulk of our funding comes from only one. Yet we serve up to 10 different jurisdictions. One of the things we could do better as a region is focusing on a regional funding source that gives us a larger pot of money to be able to increase service to folks that aren't necessarily in that one jurisdiction that produces most of the funding, but still has just as big of a need for transportation. And of course, people listening probably will say, well, why don't you just charge the fare again to help raise money? But how much of the bus's funding before the zero fare thing came from the fare versus the community partners? It was a drop in the bucket. You know, I don't want to say it was insignificant because, you know, every dollar counts. But uh, I believe our what we, we call it our fare recovery ratio was about 8 to 10 percent. It's not insignificant, but it was a very small amount of funding of, that we lost due to going zero fare. Well, it's kind of reassuring that it's not all dependent on the people that are using it. It's really something that we have to all want and invest in as a community. And something I want to also address is the alerts that say it's delayed due to staffing issues. What's going on there? And is there any hope for the future for that improving to make the bus system as reliable as it should be? Uh, that's a great question. And I want to make it known that it's, you know, these are people's jobs that are on the line if they miss a bus, you know, especially if a bus is only hourly. We have several routes in our system that only come once an hour. And so if a person is trying to get to their job and they rely on the bus and the bus doesn't come, then they have to wait a whole nother hour. And so at the very least, they're going to be an hour late to their job. And you know, that costs people their job. 
one of the reasons that this got to be an issue, and this was nationwide, is the lack of operators because of the pandemic. And so during the pandemic, we had scheduled a certain amount of service, but we didn't have the number of operators that would come in on a daily basis to fulfill that service. And so that was, it was a struggle. We have since, through working with our operators, working with education providers around the region, we've been able to increase our number of operators. And in the month of December, we completed 97% of trips. You know, we, we would want that to be 100%, but you know, that gets into one of those, like, that would never happen. And there will always be some problems that would cause a missed trip. But it's, it's very reassuring that we're back up to that 97%, which is our goal. When it comes to growing the service, it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario, I suppose. But if you're trying to get more buses, more service to get to more places, you know, like connecting more grocery stores and libraries and post offices and what comes first? Do you develop new routes or do you help increase the frequency of routes that are already developed? Like you said, there's there's a bunch that are just once an hour and then maybe they're twice an hour during certain times of the day. But yeah, kind of like where does the growth start? It starts and you know nobody likes to talk about money, but it starts at that regional funding source. It starts about finding new innovative ways to increase our budget. Every operator that we put out, every bus that we put out takes money. And so in order to increase service, we either need to increase the amount of funds available to us, or we have to take that service away from someone else. So it can be a bit of an issue. And so a lot of serious and equitable planning goes into when we make service level improvements on one corridor, how do we do it? Are we getting additional funding from a community partner who wants to see that increased level of service? Or are we having to look at underperforming routes and see what we can do to kind of reallocate resources that are already available to us? Uh, but when it comes to, you know, do we make a new route or do we increase level of service on an existing route? Uh, it, it really depends. It goes back to that public engagement. We're asking the people, what do they want now and what do they need in the future? We have a great idea of what our region looks like and what the future of our region is. And so, you know, as long as we're focusing on those four pillars that I talked about earlier of housing, healthcare, education, and jobs, that's our focus. And so we, we kind of frame those service level discussions around that. Kind of bringing it back to the whole healthy habits idea. What are some ways that you've seen to encourage people to diversify their, their mode of transportation, whether that be just walking or biking or taking the bus, you know, just not using their car as a default? I think the best answer to that question is just education on the fact that there is a diverse set of modes of transportation that someone can use, that you don't have to necessarily take a car, that you could use a bus and then transition to one of the great electric bikes that we have in the city, which I think are a lot of fun. You can use different modes like the microtransit service that I was talking about. Another important part of this is educating families and kids. We used to do a really good job of making sure that we were getting to back to school nights and we were getting to high schools and universities and teaching people 
how to ride the bus, how to plan a trip. And, you know, back to one of your earlier questions about what's something we could be doing better. I think we need to get back into that. Obviously, all that stopped because of the pandemic, but I think it's time for us to start building that back up. As I said earlier, the, the biggest barrier to the bus for a lot of people or a lot of choice riders who would be choosing between their car or public transportation is that they've never done it before. And so the car is just easy. It's it's what they know. The city is built for the car. And so it's just showing them and getting them on the bus that one time and showing them it's it's not scary. It's easy. Well, and I think we have this sense of convenience that's kind of embedded in our American DNA that like everything needs to be at my convenience. And so whenever I drive somewhere, I get to choose when I leave and when I arrive and I can leave stuff in the car. However, there is still some inconvenience of driving, you know, the sense of terror that you can experience on the street. Sometimes, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And then having to know where you're going and then parking. And we've gotten used to those inconveniences, but haven't thought about the bus system or other modes of transportation in that same realm. I don't know. I don't want to say it's not as inconvenient to ride the bus as people think, but I think it is. It's just a habit. One of the things that I personally love about taking the bus and I take the bus to work as often as I can is that it gets to be, you know, 20 minutes of relaxation for me where I'm sitting on the bus listening to a podcast like this one or listening to an audiobook or music. Um, the other part about it is it's an, a fantastic way to create community. You know, when you see the same people on the bus, you begin to know who they are. You begin to learn their life. You begin to see what other walks of life are. And so building a community and understanding how diverse a community is, is important. And you don't get that when you drive a car and you're alone. And when you're in a car, all of a sudden it becomes a me versus everybody else around me. Instead of when you're on a bus, it becomes more about community. That's so true. And if this isn't enough to sell you, remember that the bus in Kansas City is free. Which leads me to ask you, AJ, how did we get to have zero fare here in Kansas City? The zero fare process started a while ago. It started with us working with veterans and working with uh, the VA to offer passes to our veterans. That then expanded into local universities with our student pass. So Metropolitan Community College, uh, UMKC. Then that expanded further into uh, Kansas City, Missouri high schools. And then the pandemic just offered us the opportunity to go system-wide with it. See, I guess there were a few positives. Yeah, there's a silver lining yeah. to that. <laughs> awesome. In order to get to the zero fare KC, was that something that was inspired by activists, advocates? What am I saying? Was that inspired by advocates <laughs> or was it something that kind of like the city had already you know, thought about? Yes. Yeah, so like I said, it started with the conversation with the VA on how to get veterans to come to VA appointments. That was the origin of it. So we basically gave them free passes that they could only get at the veterans hospital. So they would have to come do their appointment, then they would receive a free fare pass. And then it stepped up to a need to provide better access to education. There was advocacy for it. And I, I think it's important that, that people know about those advocacy avenues. If there are people out there who wanna get something like this installed in their own city, what are some ways to go about it? We have a great advocacy chapter here in Kansas City called the KCRTA or the Kansas City Regional Transit Alliance. They have a website, uh, you can just Google it. They have done amazing work in our region to advocate for better access for public transportation. So I think that getting in contact with them, understanding how 
they do it and how they have seen success uh, would be a good place to start for anybody that you know isn't in the Kansas City region that wants to see kind of how advocacy can impact policy change. To kind of wrap us up here, do you think having free public transit is a good idea? And is it a model that other cities across the nation should be striving for? The quick answer is yes, I I do think it's a good idea, but it, it comes with an understanding that there are pros and cons. Zero fare is not a new idea. Transit experts and planning experts have been talking about the pros and cons of it for a long time. There are impacts that require policy adjustments, funding adjustments, and education on. Uh, You know, we talked about losing the fair revenue did have an impact on our finances. Um, Luckily, we've been able to work with community partners to bridge that funding gap for now, but it certainly was an effect. There is a school of thought that people don't value something if they don't have to pay for it. I don't necessarily agree with that, but there is some merit to it. And we have seen community pushback that says that. And, you know, I just think it it falls to us to demonstrate the value of the service and what we get out of the service. You know, one of the things that past leadership used to say regarding zero fare was instead of that $1.50 going into the fare box, that $1.50 is now going back into your community. That's another $1.50 that you can spend at the grocery store. That's another $1.50 that you can save if you, you know, if you are looking to save up for a car. But we just need to continue working with the public, employers, and uh, our community partners to to address these issues. But yes, I think zero fare is a good idea, and I think we have seen a lot of benefits from it. Well, thank you so much, AJ. It's been such a pleasure talking with you and learning about this system that I've been utilizing for the past couple of years. So it's great to get that insight and hopefully encourage some people out there to start riding the bus. Get out there, ride the bus, download the transit app. It makes it really easy. Folks at our call center are incredibly nice if you need help or they'll even plan a trip for you. Just get out and try it. It's not scary. It's easy. It's fun. We love it. And it's incredibly important to the health of the city. Sponsored by Food Equality Initiative, I'm Sophia Gillespie, and this has been Free From Podcast. Please visit foodequalityinitiative.org to learn more and make a contribution to further our fight for nutrition security and health equity. Thanks for listening.